Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is film journalist specialising in horror, Kat Hughes. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. It seems quite strange to be interviewing you, uh, in the sense of we're usually next to each other interviewing other people. Yeah, that's true. You know, we sort of met at at Fright Fest and the... The media wall, the the sweaty, the sweaty hell that that is, and yeah, it was a uh, it was a busy weekend. It was, it was. Well, baptism of fire for me was that was my first ever was uh, was the was the, was the August edition. Um, but yeah, weirdly, the the Halloween one, despite being a smaller event, felt like a more intense media wall experience, even though it was only one day. Yes, but it was easier in the respect of there wasn't as many as many crews, it was quite nice to be able to just sort of take time and swap over with people instead of that awkward thing in August where there's like six or seven crews and you sort of, you get the first person and then you have to wait for another 20 minutes to get the second person as they walk down the line. So I do quite like that the Halloween is more intensified, but it's it's, just, it's 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 more intensified, but also more relaxed in a weird. No, I way. totally agree with you. I mean, you and I were basically playing guest tennis, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, and also we were far enough away from each other that neither of us could hear what each, what each other was asking. One thing that, uh, with it being my first experience of it, uh, at the August one was to be next to somebody asking the question you're about to ask, and obviously you're a different you're a different platform, so it doesn't matter. But as an interviewer, your kind of instinct goes, well, I've got something else then. Yeah. Yeah, and this was the first time that the the Halloween one has been done in the area where it was. Normally it's done at the side of the screen and it has to be quiet for, for audio levels for other people. So and the space is small, so we would take it in turns. And that was even worse because if you weren't the first one, then you listened with oh. no interruption to somebody else's five-minute interview going, yeah, that was my question, that was my question, that was my question. And when there's only two or three of you, like, I don't really want to ask exactly the same question. So you're desperately trying to think of a slightly different way to word it. So, yeah, it was yeah, it was quite nice from that that respect. Indeed. Well, look, we were talking when we were, when we were in, in our downtime and 
we came, you came up with the idea of five great teen horrors that kick-started your horror appetite as a, as a framework to have a discussion. So you gave me five films. I've got that list in front of me. And for those that don't know the format, I'll just quickly run through. There are five films. I've got them in reverse date order, oldest to newest, um, in terms of their release dates. Um, and when the five minutes are up, there will be an alarm, and it will sound like this. And that's the time for us to stop talking about that film and move on to the next one. Obviously, Kat, it is it is more polite than that. It's just a very <laughs> passive-aggressive way of me to say, let's move on, but please don't feel you can't finish a sentence off. This is, yeah, it's, uh, kind of, it's like, the, like the Golden Globes and the Oscars sort of thing. You know, you're going to start playing me out. Very much so, very much so. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the level I'm at. <laughs> the Golden Globes and Oscars. <laughs> right then, let's start at the top. We've got... The Craft from 1996. Yep. So The Craft actually was released in 1996. I was about 12 or 13 when it first came out. And I remember seeing it advertised in all the, the teen girl magazines. So Shout, Sugar, all of the rest of it. And obviously you weren't old enough to see it at the cinema. But then it came out a few months later on VHS. The time they were, <laughs> I know, right? Happy days. Uh, and it became a standard sleepover film. You know, we were the teenage girls who went around somebody's house and spent all night watching scary movies. There were other friends that would like watch all of the rom coms, but we were the we were the scary movie crowd. And the craft, it's not a traditional horror in that sense. It's about a group of teen witches, which was enough for us to to deem it to deem it worthy of of being included but i think for me the thing that really captured my attention was that you know there were these cool teenage girls they were they were five or six years older than me and my friends watching it but they were almost like aspirational in a sort of way because they were they were so they were so cool and people that we wanted to be like because there's these four different girls and they're not your archetypal horror film stock girls. There's not the brain. There's not the bimbo. These women are all at the same level. They're all intelligent, but they all have something about them. You've got Rochelle who's been bullied and is a victim of racism. You've got Bonnie who isn't happy with how she looks. You've got Nancy who isn't happy with her circumstances at home and you've got Sarah who is just trying to to fit in with with the world and I think that as a group of girls as much as we were in a Nottingham rural village we saw something in these LA girls that we too could could link to because these themes bullying and not being happy in, in your skin are universal teenage you know, mm. teenage feelings and I think that was something that that drew me in and it's a film that I will watch at least two or three times every year it's my staple I've got a load of reviews to write I can't I need noise when I'm writing right and I have to it's, I, even that when I was at school and I was doing homework I had to have noise I had to have music or the tv or something on and these days because I'm also trying to like keep my letterbox film count up I need a film on in the background and the craft is a staple. I'm going to stick that on in the background while I, while I do some writing, but I just sort of, it just 
takes me back to being that young teenager and like the things that me and my friends used to do. I mean, we were that era that was brought up on the craft, which meant that our sleepovers also included a game of light as a feather, stiff as a board. <laughs> it never, never went as well as it does in the film. I don't, don't really know, you know, why that might be, but you know, it was, it was something that we, we tried to do, you know, we would, we would quote the film, we could still quote the film. And it's just one of those rites of passages where, even now I'm making friends based on that film and how, how's it, how's, as, a, as a progressive film of the time, how has, how do you think it survived as a, intact as a progressive film? Does it still, does it still have, have a strong case to make for sort of female, female characters in horror? I think <clears> so. Yeah. Because they, they are all very different and it's mm. universal, you know, except there's Rochelle who's, She's a victim of racism, which is unfortunately something that people are still experiencing. Mm. And you've got you've got um, Nancy, who is like quote unquote poor, poor white trash. They are still girls. They're the outcasts of the misfits. You know, those characters always always exist, and people will always be drawn to them. And they have this, you know, goth punk aesthetic, which is still yeah. really popular. You know, especially you know, that's sort of coming back with things like Wednesday and things going on to Netflix. That's, that's still here. So I think it, it is, yeah, they're, they're not on their cell phones. You know, they don't, it's a time before cell phones, Yeah. but that, that doesn't seem to matter. But then maybe that's me looking at it as somebody that remembers a time before, before no, mobile indeed. phones consumed What's, us. And it's interesting. And, and I, I completely forgot till you drew on attention to the film. 1996 is the same year as Scream and Scream is considered to be a kind of, the film that fixed horror in the nineties, because the nineties wasn't very kind to the genre, in some senses, and it's and Scream is seen to be the one that rebooted it. But what you're saying is this is a film that lives on so many, nearly three decades later, just as much as Scream does to the people that yeah. loved it. Yeah, and it also has two two of the main casts. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Skeet yeah. and Neve are both yeah. both. So they both their careers just like like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, the alarm, the alarm went off for the first film. Did that five minutes feel all right? Or did it, did it, did it fly by? Yeah. It definitely, it definitely flies by. You know, a lot of, <laughs> most of, most of the films on this list of films I can talk about till the cows come home. So five Excellent. No, that's so. what I want. I want, I want the guests to have the enthusiasm <laughs> about the film. This is the, this is the fun thing for me. Um, so I'm getting, and your 1990, your next film is from 1997. And without Scream, I don't think we have this film. Um, it is the first of I Know What You Did Last Summer. So do you want to tell us how you how, how this come into your purview? Yeah. So again, I was a I was always sort of into into horror, but by the time of the craft, I had like my own TV and video in, in my bedroom. So each year for Christmas, I would get a new wave of videos. And this was so this would have been like 98 when I got this, the year after Scream. Mm. And I like Scream. But I think Scream built up too much for me. Like a lot of my friends that saw it were like, oh my God, this film's so terrifying and I couldn't watch it and I couldn't finish it. So I sat down on like Christmas Day 1997 to watch Scream and was like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like this is like, I'm getting all these film references and stuff, which I'm enjoying, but barring probably the opening scene with Drew Barrymore, I'm a bit, it's it's kind of, it's more humorous, it's light. Mm. And then I know what you did last summer was obviously that it was Kevin Williamson, so it was the same writer as Scream, but yeah. it was doing it from a more serious approach. And I got on board with that a lot more because I 
like to be scared. And this was a this was a horror film that that gave me that. You know, it's got this hip young cast who have all maintained their careers in in some respect, which Absolutely. is something that you don't you don't see a lot of with with these teen films. And it was just it's just a fun story. You know, it's a bit of the urban legend of you know the the, the serial killer, the deranged escape patient you know the fisherman with the hook for his hand which is something that does the rounds everywhere but it was also based on was based on a book and so there was some sort of other other grounding there but I think the thing that really stood out to to me about I know what you did last summer is one it was it was scary but it was also a film where the final girl wasn't necessarily the girl that I was most drawn to. I mean, for me, it's Helen Shivers' film. I mean, the the Blu-ray, the Blu-ray release has Sarah Michelle Geller on the disc and not Jennifer Love Hewitt on the disc, which mm. I think kind of says what the, the audience feels. You know, the historically the best friend of the final girl has always been quite sexually promiscuous. And that is who Helen is in the in the pre that when we first meet them in, in the prologue part yeah but then a year later she has changed and i feel that her story arc is more interesting than that of julie's and then when it comes to her death you don't you don't want her to die you know and she gets so close to living and every time even when i watched ahead of ahead of this you just want her to not stop for that second you wanted to keep going and reach that parade and be safe you know because is that true to the book she, or is that influenced by kevin williamson sort think, of Taking the slasher thing forward. Yeah. I think in the book, nobody, nobody dies. Ah, okay. Um, It's, it's, I think it's, it's very tweet. It's very sort of point horror. And, you know, that eventually the kids go to the police and say, oh, we did all this. And then he gets arrested for like causing, causing mischief with them and stuff. So there's, there's not the death. So that's obviously definitely come from them going, how do we do a scream, but different. Mm. But there is there is just some moments that really scared me and have stuck with me to this day. Well, it's what, what, the scene, what's, what stuck with you? It's it's the scene with with Helen where she she goes to bed and then she wakes up and half of her hair's been hacked off, and it's because she's not been drugged. There's not like been an establishing shot where we've seen like a pill or something drop into her like bedside yeah, yeah, yeah. table water. She just goes to sleep and then wakes up in the morning and someone's put her crown on her head. And then what's all of this? Where's my hair? And it's just that thought that somebody could be in your room and could do that whilst you're asleep without you being aware. It's just something that at the back of it's always oddly there at the back of my mind. If I'm at home alone at night there, I'm just going to just double check everything because you never, you never know. It's like, it's a nice cautionary. Yeah. Cautionary I mean, I, I, I always, when you say that it reminds me of the first uh, VHS, which has got one of the chapters, just simply two people in masks who creep around a hotel room. They don't actually yeah. do anything beyond being in the room with two sleeping people, but it has that element of if I was asleep, then this could be happening to me. And that's what the scary yeah. thing about it without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very light sleeper, so I'm always like, that wouldn't happen to me. I would know. But then there's always that point of I've now had a kid and maybe I am sleeping deeper <laughs> because I, I like my I like my sleep now. So yeah. I had my first it, I had my first night terror about two weeks ago, which absolutely threw me for six. Like two shadows stood over the bed. I'm like, what's going on? And my yeah. wife's like, You're all right, you're all right. And I'm like, Yeah, I am. 
Oh, there's the alarm on cue. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to say before we move on? I just, you know, somebody somebody remake it and let let Helen live. <laughs> it's a plea, a plea to the filmmaking community. Let Helen live. Right then. Well, I also should again with the with again for the same year two things happening. Obviously, uh, Sarah Sarah Michelle Gellar. But I didn't realise Buffy started the same year as this film release. So I'm not quite. I don't know the chronology of what with what came first, the TV or the film. But they're both yeah. pegged at ninety seven. Yeah, so I think she'd done series one of Buffy because she has long hair in series one, and then she has the short hair that happens during I Know Angela Summer. Okay, at the start of series two. So Buffy had been filmed and I guess started to be released, but it wasn't what it would go on to become. So she was still relatively unknown in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Magic. Now, there's always one film, and this is when I, when I do these fives where I've like, it's not even on my radar, never mind, I've not seen it. So I'm fascinated to learn about Disturbing Behaviour from 1998. Yeah, so Disturbing Behaviour, I came across in uh, my local Blockbusters, a, a store I would later go on to work in. Oh, wow. Um, and I was a big Dawson's Creek fan, so I'd heard that Katie Holmes was in this this teen sci-fi film, and I was like, yeah, okay. And it's got Katie Holmes, James Marsden, Nick Stahl, Catherine Isabel, and then the grown-ups, you've got Bruce Greenwood and William Sadler. Yeah, indeed. And it tells of um, Steve, Jason Mar- uh, James Marsden, and his family in the wake of his brother's suicide. They moved to Cradle Bay, and it's like a little coastal town that you need a, a ferry to get to. And he goes, and the head of the school are these blue ribbon kids who are like squeaky clean, who hang out at the uh, the yogurt shoppy, <laughs> and he meets Stoner Gavin, played by Nick Stahl, and he's he's trying to get everybody to believe that these kids are brainwashed. There's something not right. They're like the Stepford Wives kids. There's they they're not as squeaky clean as they appear. Okay. And initially Steve doesn't doesn't believe him, thinks he's he's just stoned all the time, so it's clearly, you know, too many drugs. But then Gavin is selected by the blue ribbons and then Steve realizes the sudden shift in in his friend and then he he digs deeper and it's the the school guidance counselor has been sort of clockwork oranging these kids. Um, and like implanting chips into into their into their brains to to keep them to make them the ideal teenagers. But the problem is that whenever these teenagers experience a surge of a, emotion or, or hormones, so you know, teenagers, you know, they see a pretty girl, but they become aroused or whatever, they just sort of explode in a vicious rage and they kill people or hurt people and the test isn't going as well as it should but it's directed by David Nutter who is the king of like pilot tv shows so he's had a hand in the x-files arrow flash um, game of thrones he's directed so much tv but this was his only film that he ever directed and it was a classic case of the studio got involved and hacked to pieces his original version of the film 
Um, like his original version was an hour 40 and they were like teenagers and don't want a film that's an hour 40, make it 80 minutes. And so they really, really hacked at it. I was fortunate enough to um, have a dinner with William Sadler mm. and he was saying that the, the David's version was so good, but he was so disillusioned by the process that he's never made a feature film again, which is really sad because yeah. it's a, it is a teen riff on the Stepford Wives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like very gritty. It's got music by Mark Snow from from the X Files, so the music's quite cool. It's got a it's got an interesting it's got an interesting cast. Um, it also has Ethan Embry, who people will know from Cheap Thrills and The Devil's Candy. Mm. But he his scenes are cut because he plays the brother who who died. So he's in it in tiny, tiny, tiny little flashes in the end result. But his, apparently his character was much more prominent in the original version. And it's just I mean, that, that version does exist somewhere. And it's my hope that at some point it all gets put together again. And Has David Nutter spoken at all about, I mean, obviously, I'm guessing he's spoken about how horrendous the experience was, but. For him, but has he spoken at all about there ever being a hundred-minute version of it? Well, it does all exist. It's just the right person getting hold of it. So oh yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Like if Second Sight or Arrow or something wants to do one of the those releases, I'm pretty sure it's it's there and it's it's ready to be done. I guess it's just whether or not there's there's an appetite. I mean, I will happily I will happily contribute to any essays that anybody <laughs> needs. You know, <laughs> I will. You know, might as well. What's well, a, what's the standout scene for you in this one then that makes it so memorable? It's just it's just a nice teen. It's like just a nice teen sci-fi. There's a great bit where they they break into um the doctor's um last job at a mental institute and there's very horror stereotypical uh, mental patients, mm. um, which is which is quite cool. Sort of seeing them go through that, but it's also the soundtrack. The soundtrack is nice alt rock by bands that you won't have won't have probably heard of but that became the soundtrack to my art GCSE because it was 10 hours long and we were allowed to take in music and this was back in the days of cassette tapes and you know there was no Spotify you're speaking my and, language Kat yeah and that was uh that was one of the cassettes that I had so I listened to that soundtrack a lot so I think it's kind of the the film and the soundtrack and everything is all so intrinsically linked that it's it's a film that's sort of always always a, a nice little watch and it's only 80 minutes and you can't be an 80 minute film no you can't you can't more of them please um except when there's 100 100 minutes of good stuff available uh, yes now when we jump into the new millennia now out of the 90s and i feel like i feel like this is the, from, from my point of view um while scream is seen to be like the film that got horror back on track I feel like it's such a standalone success. And I did go, I went to the cinema to see, I know we did last summer and everything, but I feel like this is the film that sort of, the film I'm about to say is the one that got me back interested in horror, if that makes sense. I kind of, I think I'd been too skewed by like the kind of uh, Ramirez, uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino explosion in the nineties to sort of almost like turn me, turn myself away from horror almost, you yeah. know, it kind of, it, if it wasn't cool and criminal, then I wasn't going to watch it. Um, and then, but, fi but Final Destination in 2000, for me, got me back interested in horror because it's such a brilliant concept. Do you want to talk about it from your point of view, why, why it's one of the films that kick-started your horror appetite? 
Yeah, so by the time this one came out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Now, I was old enough to go and see it at the cinema, which was, which was quite nice. I yeah. think it was it's probably only my second or third at the cinema after the Blair Witch Project, which ironically, I got lost on the way to watch. I, we it was, in, it was in Mansfield and we, it was like a 20 minute walk from the bus stop. But when we went to see Blair Witch, we we got on a different bus. So we got off somewhere else. And yeah, we just made it in time for the film. And then after spending half an hour lost ourselves, we watched two, three people be lost for another hour and a half. Um, but Final Destination, I knew my way to the cinema. And it was, again, like the scream, I find fun. And I know what you did last summer had, had its scary moments. But Final Destination is just a really enjoyable sort of like roller coaster. Absolutely. Theme, you know thrill ride it more so in the in the films that followed but this is obviously the one that kick-started which i think is one of the, the most overlooked franchises i think people kind of look down on the final destination thing a bit because of how ludicrous the and elaborate the deaths got as the films went on but the first one it keeps it really really restrained that the first the first death of the best friend, which everybody thinks, oh, he's he's hung himself, but you know, the audience is privy. You're thinking they're going, what's that water? What's the, what's yeah. happening? And then you see it, and you go, oh, okay. And then as the as the deaths go on, you suddenly realise that you know there's nothing that these characters can do to stop it. If there's if it wants you, it's death's going to get you. And I mean, what what better slasher killer to have than death? You know, that's a universal, it's something that everybody watching it at home can identify with. You know, we can't necessarily identify with a masked killer stalking us through a, a campground, but we all know at some point in our lives, we're not going to exist anymore, but we don't know what those circumstances that take us out of this world Death and are taxes, be. as they say, isn't it? Death and taxes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this obviously this film puts you in the position of what if you you did know, obviously they cheat death at the start by getting off of the plane, but then they suddenly realise that they're on death list and then they're spending their life constantly looking for anything that could could be dangerous. You know, there's a great scene towards the end where Alex is hunkered down with just every possible thing tied to the tied to the walls and tied down. I do question him eating a tin of chicken. You know, if he's trying to stay safe, I'm not really sure that eating chicken is the <laughs> safest thing that you can be eating. Um, but I think it's even a, like as a, as a teenager, I sort of recognised that there's you know, there's nothing that we can do about about death. And watching it in the cinema, I think it was probably my first experience of the good old jump scare. Yeah. The bit with with Terry and the bus still, you know, no matter how many times you watch it, you're sort of waiting for it to happen. And it seems it just seems still to just come out of absolutely nowhere. It's you know, absolutely she's magical. It's absolutely she, magical. Yeah. She's mid-sentence and bang, 
the bus has got her. And I just remember thinking like, oh, okay. So there doesn't have to be all this settled. They can just come at you. And then you've got the teacher whose death is so elaborate and obviously paves the way for where the series goes. It's basically, I think I've said it before to people, it's like those sheets that you got when you were at school where you had to like circle the hazards, you know, like the overloaded <laughs> books office and that. That is that lady's kitchen. I just have to wonder. I mean, I know that she's moving and that she's she's dealing with some grief, but I don't quite I think that's know the cleverness that's... of the franchise in a way, in the sense of once you got to two and beyond, you begin to watch the film from the point of view of can I can I do can I circle the hazards? Yeah. It's like a really it's a really interesting way to watch a movie. Yeah. In the sense of, are we in a are we in a death scene now? Let me have a look. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the fact that you know you. I think since that film is, there's been so many times where I've been like, you know, I get like a six 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 receipt from from the coffee shop, and mm. it's like, is this is this how my final destination death starts? You know, is is this the sign that I should be looking out for? It is something that has like permeated deep into into the psyche. And yeah, and it's got Tony Todd in it as well, which was a nice little. I think I'd seen Candyman by that point, but it was a nice little like nod for for Tony Todd to then when people when teenagers go deeper, they can be like, oh crap, that was that guy from from that film. Absolutely. And, and I just want to just before we move on, uh, Jeffrey Re- Jeffrey Reddick is the is is seen as the. I'm looking at it now. There's three credits for the screenplay. The director James Wong gets a credit for it, which is I guess he worked must have worked on it with it. And there's a Glenn Morgan credited for screenplay as well. But reading around it, Jeffrey Reddick is the guy who's come up with the concept. So hats off to Jeffrey, really, in terms of... Because it's such a... I mean, it's it's a stupid... As all the best ideas are, it's stupidly simple. Yeah. But then it's absolutely effective in the story, in the way it's told. It's not just simply, there is just creeping death. It's like... Yeah. And it's very strange to watch back now, because this film was... It was pre-September the 11th. And just seeing how different airports were back then. I oh, mean, wow. these yeah. kids, especially American, these kids, ones, yeah. these kids basically just wander on, you know, like wander on and off the plane as as they like. And it's just you think now about all the things that changed, which aren't in there. I mean, even as well, just like it being a plane crash is something that's obviously not not really done anymore because of that. It's seen as sort of bad taste. Mm. Absolutely. Right then, your final choice of your five is a 2001 film. So we're, we've spanned only five years for you. We've definitely, you've definitely concentrated this period of your <laughs> what got my attention as far as being a horror fan. I find that it's really, it's really great to sort of have such a concentrated look. And it makes, it reminds me, you know, that, that it's, it, sometimes if your own, if your own path through horror isn't the same, you can kind of feel like you've missed, you kind of feel like you missed something, you know, it's, uh, and, uh, and again, this one I, t- I saw it at the time, but I don't think I've seen it since. Um, it's uh, Valentine from two thousand and one. Do you want to uh, tell us about that one? Valentine, yeah, I mean, it's been saying the the years. This is literally my teenage years, like the craft. I was sort of in like maybe the first or second year at school, and then by Valentine, I was in my last year at school. Hmm. And okay, it was a we went on opening Friday night to to Nottingham to the to the cinema. Me and two of my friends and. One of my friends was terrified the entire time. She was such a scary cat. She was just there, like hands, like hands in front of her face, like screaming. And me and my other friend thought that she was ridiculous because the film is ridiculous. And I think this was the film 
that made me appreciate that horrors don't have to necessarily be really quote-unquote good to be enjoyable it's <laughs> it's it's very it's a very silly I mean it's directed by Jamie Blanks who also did Urban Legend and I did sort of toy with do I do Urban Legend or do I talk about Valentine and I think Valentine's the one because it is it's a guilty pleasure and I think all horror fans have those guilty pleasures because mm. you don't Sometimes you want to just have fun with the horror. You don't necessarily want to sit there and get scared or sit and think about deep philosophical things like what would I do if I knew the day of my death? You know, sometimes you just want to have fun and mm. Valentine definitely does that. I was I was a kid that grew up reading Point Horror, and particularly the Nightmare Horror series, which is also at college. And Valentine could not be more like one of those books. Mm. In those books, people who read those books will know the killer is always the best friend or the boyfriend. And Valentine sort of covers off, off both of those. It, it tries really hard to take itself seriously. And it has this twist ending where the person that they think is the killer isn't the killer. And there's, there's a reveal that the lead girl... She thinks that she's she's safe. She's vanquished the killer and she's embracing in the arms of her her estranged boyfriend who she's, during the film, she's reconnected with. And then the camera pans up and his nose bleeds, which is something that happens every time the killer, the masked killer, kills somebody, their nose bleeds afterwards. Uh, okay. And so then there's this, there's this, they're embracing that it pans up to David Boreanaz and there's a, his nose starts to trickle, the blood starts to trickle out of his nose. And you're supposed to be like, oh my God. But like me and my friend were like, well, yeah, wasn't that obvious? Like, come on, film. But it was, it was fun to have a, to have a, have a laugh with on Saturday night. And in my school yearbook, uh, my friend drew a picture of that very scene in the back. And it was always a, so it became like an in-joke between, between me and my friends and as somebody who grew up as a massive Starship Troopers fan, but being Team Diz, being Team Johnny and Diz, yeah. it was really nice to see uh, Carmen Ibanez get her just desserts. I mean, it took me a few films to uh, to see uh, Denise Richards uh, meet meet her maker on on screen, but it was it was nice. But I think that's that has to be my favourite scene because. Scream kickstarted the resurgence of the slasher genre. Yeah. And then I feel like Valentine was one of the ones that was sort of like towards the end of that resurgence. Yeah, and yeah, Scream, Scream poked fun at all these, all these tropes and things and films tried to try to change them. Like, you know, I know what he did last summer. Suddenly we have the the best friend being a character that we liked. And, you know, she wasn't just, you know, tits and ass. She was somebody that we invested in. And Valentine kind of just went, ah. Oh, but what if we just went back to how it was right down to the point of Denise Richards' character Paige. Loads of her friends have been murdered, but she decides to go off alone in the dark in a bikini to have a nice soak in the hot tub. She hears a strange noise. She gets out. There's a rose, which is the calling card of the Valentine killer. She sees it. And instead of thinking, right, I'm probably going to go and find somebody. She instead walks around and says, does someone want to be my Valentine? Or as me and my friends always call it, she walks around going, here, killer, 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 here, killer, 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 killer. <laughs> and then is very surprised when suddenly she is grabbed and like thrown into the hot tub. And it's such a, a big, extravagant 
death because she's like thrashing around in the hot tub and stuff that it was just it's just so much fun to experience everything with my friends and just be like this is silly this is I'm not scared of this I'm just having a blast and I think that's that served me well in in future horror mm. when you sit down especially covering like 75 best films a year to know that not all of them are going to necessarily be the top quality but you can still have that fun cathartic experience of, of sitting and watching them no, no, I think that's I think that's valuable valuable advice for uh, for people who want to indulge in horror. Is you've got to you've basically got to kiss a few frogs, haven't you? Really, before you find your yeah. princes of horror, there's no there's no yeah. two ways about it. But then somehow some of those some of those frogs are going to stay with you. No, no, <laughs> you I know? totally agree. I totally agree. No, there's a number, and I, 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 yeah, I'm 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 with you. And it's like, but it's always like there's if you if you if you allow it to sort of if you allow it in, as it were. There's always good to see because yeah, you can you can pick apart the idea of there being a killer on the loose and somebody not acting like there's there's not. You go, oh well, nobody acts like that, and that was always the joke with with the eighties ones. Was why is nobody worried that friends have died? Yeah, there's a, there's yeah. something seems to be of trauma in this film. But it's interesting. Again, I didn't know this till 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 getting ready for today. But like you know, Valentine is adapted from a novel too, um, mm. a book by a guy called Tom Savage. So. You know, it, it clearly they they were Hollywood was one scream had hit, and obviously with I know you did a summer being a novel too. It's like they're trying to find the material that they could sustain it on, and I think you're right. I think this would be the sort of the end of it because the screen series was what to th- was it up to three by now, or was it four? Yeah, three. Yeah, wasn't yeah it was up to yeah, yeah. Four was a lot later. Yeah, so it was kind of it was it was it was stretching its it, it was sort of overstaying its welcome, should I say? At that point, it felt, um, but. Uh, but good choices. So let's just recount then uh, your five choices of five great teen horrors that kickstarted my horror appetite, according to Cat Hughes, are The Craft from 96, I Only Did Last Summer from 97, Disturbing Behaviour from 98, Final Destination 2000, and Valentine 2001. I mean, obviously, your your the way you've grouped them together and what you're doing, it's the theme is your sense of your teenage years. But... and. And they all, and they all, without exception, are about young people yes. coming face to face with murder. There's no, there's no, there's no more serious theme than that in any of these films, is there? It's, it's like the idea of right, young people. I know you feel like you're going to live forever because you're young. Yeah. Here's here's death. I mean, in, yeah, in, in I mean, Final Destination, yeah. literally. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the only slight deviation is disturbing behaviour, which is more like, hey, kids, uh, you're not going to do what you want. Ah, we yeah, are the grown-ups yeah, yeah. and we are going to tell you which is is obviously something that we can all relate to as as kids as teenagers is you know that pushing against the the establishment that's your five i'm talking to you on saturday the 19th of november and this will go out in a few weeks just to put you on the spot as we're at the end of the year is there is there a couple of horror films of 2022 that are that are going to be the sort of in the best ofs at the end of the year for you? Or is there, is there any for you that just are your two stand two or three standout horrors of the year that make it a good horror year? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we've been really fortunate this year with, with genre content. I think there's been so many good things, both in cinemas and what I've caught at the festivals. Mm. Um, in terms of festivals, it has been Hypochondriac, which is a, like... Daniel isn't real meets Donnie Darko, but told through a, a queer a queer lens, 
which I, think oh, I didn't watch that one. I need to see that. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's um, it's playing at Soho today, uh, the day of recording. Um, in the in the digital aspect, um, I've seen like six or seven times now. <laughs> so well, there's there's, there's a vote of approval. Um, the leech, I think, is skipping the cinema, but the leech is is a great sort of Christmas horror thriller. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the big releases, um, I really enjoyed Smile. Mm-hmm. It was again, again, it's jump scares done well. It's it's the ring meets it follows, I guess, to to you know lower it down to. Well, no, I mean it follows is the one that springs to mind, and 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 for indie filmmakers out there, this is a film without any franchise, without any, yeah. you know, this is an original idea that's. That's took the number one box office in the states and the UK and I think other countries around the world. Yeah, and it? it's still it's still playing. Yeah, yeah, it's still it's still in the well. top ten in Britain for sure. It's I think it's I think it's still got it's got more screenings at my local multiplex and Halloween ends, which I think says says everything about the difference between franchise and original horror at the moment. Yeah, and then my my other pick of mainstream is Barbarian. Um, it was the surprise film at Celluloid. Which I was thrilled about because I'd unfortunately missed it at Fright Fest, and then I've been to see it again since. And it's just one of those films that you think you know what you're walking into, and then it quickly becomes clear that you don't know what you're walking into at all. Well, I was interested because this "Pray for the Devil," which is it, "Pray for the Devil" that came out, yes, at the same the same Halloween weekend as Barbarian. Because of my horror sort of bubble, I assumed because Barbarian and, and "Pray for the Devil" were coming out at the same time that. Barbarian would wipe the floor with it in the box office, but in the UK, obviously, I think I think Barbarian had done really well in the states. I think yes, which which yeah. changed Disney's release decision. They were originally just going to put it out to stream, weren't they? They weren't even going to give it a cinematic yeah. release. And that quick changeover, I think, I guess the news of it being, and I think even right down to the the reaction of it in Fright Fest was like, hold on yeah. a minute, this is a cinematic movie. We can, but. I learned that Pray for the Devil has got like a star from some teen drama in the lead and apparently like seven or eight weeks in the run up to the release. It was, if you, if you watch TikTok, which I'm guessing the key demographic of who that went out to watch that film were being hammered with it. Um, And that, you know, that, that meant that not that, that, not that the filmmaker has made a bad film. It's just that I just assumed that Barbarian would be the one to come out on top on Halloween weekend, but. It wasn't. Yeah, I know that at least at, at my local cinema, it Barbarian was put on in a much smaller screen. Pray for the devil, and I okay. think that's I think that's something that Disney have done a lot with the stuff that they're not too sure of, or a lot of the Fox acquisitions, like um, House of Gucci. I watched in the same tiny studio screen, and um, I couldn't see the last duel because it was always sold out because it was in a thirty seat screen when there was like some kids film that was dying on its feet that was in this 150 seat screen so i think that has something to to do with it as well like only you can only become a big hit if you've got the seats to make it a big hit but it'll be on disney plus in the near future and you know bill sarsgaard and justin long it's you know, it's got it's got some recognisable horror names in, um, not necessarily playing characters that you would expect them to. Now, I mean, obviously, we we can't predict this one, but imagine imagine today is nineteen ninety we're nineteen ninety six now. So what are, what are the films of what would be the you know this isn't for you to answer just I'm just thinking of it now like 
what's going to be the, the the next five years? What's horror going to look like for a for a teenage fan to sort of grow into? You know, because we're in a, we're in a very different world now, aren't we? In terms of mm. what's getting made, the indie stuff's getting more and smaller and smaller. So the kind of the left field surprises become less and less. But obviously they're they're readily available. But there's also more choice. The 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 historical stuff is easier to get, so therefore you yeah. can be distracted and overwhelmed. It's like I find it. I mean, my journey of horror was like one at a time. You know, you just found them as you found them. Whereas you switch on if you subscribe to any service, you've got a choice. Yeah, I mean, know? Shudder. You know, teenagers today can literally just switch on to Shudder, and every week there's a new genre film. Yeah, which. And they're not like when I was, you know, during that five year period, it was predominantly, it was predominantly teen horrors, you mm. know, more, more teen slashes, you know, like there was Urban Legend, Idle Hands. There was, a, there was a few other sort of teen focused horrors of that era that are the first ones that spring to mind. But this day and age, they can literally watch Shudder and one week you've got something like Mandrake, which is a really serious, subdued, like folk horror tale, and then the next week you've got VHS ninety nine, which is yeah. a, a you know a, an anthology spanning a load of things, and then in a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of weeks later, you've got like Christmas Buddy Christmas, which is you know a you know a big splatter movie. It's yeah, there's not, I don't think there's not that same trend anymore because they have got so many options. Yeah, there's not there's not the same tribal element, is there not? To, like you were talking about no. you and your girlfriends yeah. getting together for sleepovers and stuff, and there was identifiably the film to watch. I mean, I I do, I do often wonder what do kids do at sleepovers now, and I imagine they just sit on their phones and like make <laughs> don't TikTok talk to videos. each other. <laughs> you know, that's you know, they just sit and make like TikTok videos or something. And, Maybe yeah, yeah, like see what their friends have been posting or whatever. It's yeah. I mean, I guess I'll find out in about 10 years when, when my own daughter starts to starts to go to them and have them. I mean, if she's the one, she's the one hiding them. She's, she's having an old school sleepover. I'm going to be like, you know, phones in girls. Like, there you go. Sit down. <laughs> you can, you can almost do like a kind of hist- history's, history's version of a sleepover for her. Exactly. But they're going, they're going to sit and watch the craft and that's it. <laughs> taking your phones, taking your phones. Well, look, yeah. it just gives me to say thank you very much to give your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Music.